We're really thankful for uh, everyone's presence here today. I want to share a couple things as we get started, a couple plugs that were mentioned. One is the Fried Hardeman University Chorale, the, the chorus that travels around. They've been here before. They do a phenomenal job. And uh, this particular version of the chorale includes two of our own, uh, David Rogers and Rachel Ashby. And they're going to be coming through here on Friday, January 11th, stopping over and singing for us while they're here. Now, that's a Friday night, and you may already have plans, but if you do, cancel those plans and come and join us to hear the the chorale sing. If you don't have anything to do, please be here. They're going to sing at 7 o'clock Friday night, the 11th. And uh, as I said, they always do a fantastic job. We will enjoy that and be blessed by that and... uh, if you are able to keep any of those corral members, then Kyle and Melissa Ashby are working on housing. And so go to them and say, hey, I'd like to keep two boys or two girls or four boys or four girls, whatever, how, however many you want. Uh, that would be very helpful. And then something else that's coming up as we get ready for January. Many of you remember Michael Whitworth who came here last January and did a, what he calls a teaching rocket workshop. That was on a Saturday, and it was for people who are already teaching Bible classes, uh, aspiring Bible teachers, really for anybody who wanted to become a better student of God's Word. He is coming back in just a few short weeks to do part two of that workshop. So these are all new sessions, and again, this is pretty open-ended. If you are any of those things that I mentioned, currently teaching, you want to be better at it, thinking about teaching, you don't know where to start. If you just want to be a better student of God's Word, then that workshop is Saturday, January 26th. And we will start registration next Sunday, January 6th. And I'll do a spread in the bulletin about what sessions will be offered. But again, there there are no repeats from the last time. It'll be all new material We had about 100 folks at that one uh, a year ago. It would be great to have that number again. And those of you who came, you know that it was uh, really worth your time. It was a blessing. So that's coming up. And tomorrow, I should have like some flashing lights or a sign or something. Tomorrow begins our Bible reading. And uh, if you've been here at all over the last (laughs) couple months, you know that in 2019, it is the goal of many of us to read through our Bible. And it's time to get started, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about it. There's been stuff in the bulletin about it. I've plugged it over and over again. En- enough talking, let's, let's get down to it. Let's start reading. Tomorrow, uh, that begins. And as we've said, there are journals. I've got my journal up here today. We've got journals out in the lobby. Many of you have have pictures up already. We have extras. If you didn't sign up for one and you'd like one, then you can grab one. We've got a few extra Bibles. Those are $15 a piece if you'd like a reader's Bible. And then the uh, one-page reading plans are out there. Weekly readings will be in the bulletin each week as well as on our Facebook page. So, you know, we're going to make sure that you know exactly what you're supposed to be reading uh, each and every day. It's going to be a challenge. Maybe you think this is going to be a cakewalk, going to be you know, easy as pie for me. It's going to be a challenge for me. I can already tell. And I think just the best thing that we can do is, like any other resolution you may have, you've got to take it one day at a time, right? So don't think about the whole 
Because that can seem so daunting and so overwhelming. Just think about what you've got to do tomorrow. And when you're done with your reading tomorrow, then you can move to the next day, to Tuesday. And then when you're done with that, to Wednesday. One day at a time, one piece at a time. That's how you do it. If you want to you know, lose weight or, or get fit or work on your finances, you do it one day at a time. That's how we need to think about this Bible reading. And I thought I would spend this time, the sermon time today, giving all of us a little preview of what we will be reading um, in the coming week, starting tomorrow. You tomorrow will start at the beginning, at the very beginning of God's Word in Genesis chapter 1. And so, if you have your Bible, grab it, go with me. We're going to be in Genesis a little bit. We'll be in some other places too. Get a Bible, open up the Bible app on your smartphone or tablet. Let's look at God's Word together. Let's begin at the beginning. Let's begin where you will begin reading tomorrow in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Many of you know what this verse says. It is an oft-memorized verse, a well-known verse. But there's a lot of stuff here. The way that the Bible begins tells us a lot about God and about our faith. Listen to God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does this verse tell us? Well, if you start with the first phrase, in the beginning, God, you know that God uh, is the, the originator of all things. He created the heavens and earth. He is the grand engineer. He is the master artist. He is the expert architect. He has always been. He was there at the beginning of time. He is the one who was already in existence. The one who spoke everything that we see into existence. In the beginning, God... The Bible begins by reminding us that God is behind and before all things. That our whole lives are, that we are here, that we exist because and only because of our God, the great creator. Verse 2 of Genesis 1 is not quite as well known. Let's read this verse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And listen to this. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so at the very beginning of creation, the earth was formless and void, and then God got to work, creating all the things that we see. And that's the point of Genesis 1, to remind us that everything that we see, that everything that we experience comes from God. God is the reason that it exists. He is the creator. And we see here that He creates darkness and light and water and land and all of the vegetation and trees and flowering plants and the stars and the heavenly host and the sun and the moon and all of the living creatures, the birds that fly and the fish that swim and the beasts that roam the earth. And after He creates all of these things, we see this repeated throughout Genesis 1, He looks at His creation and He saw that it was what? Good. Chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21. 25, God is satisfied with what He has created. Indeed, it is a good creation. And we still, as we examine the beauty of the earth, we can still stop and say, it is good. 
God is amazing and be in awe of Him. And then, we're not even done talking about God's creation, of course, because then comes the pinnacle of, of God's creative act here, and it's us. It's humankind. We see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creating man and woman. God creating us in His image, in His likeness. God first creating man from the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. And then God creating woman by putting the man back to sleep and taking a rib and fashioning woman out of the rib of man. An extraordinary act of creation. And, and it is the, the peak moment, the pinnacle of God's creation. And after this happens, you know what God says? When he sees all of his creation, not just that it's good, but after he creates man, humankind, male and female, after he creates us, the scripture says that he saw it and in his sight it was very good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. And all is right with the world. God has created the world that he intended to create. And it is beautiful. But then, as early as Genesis chapter 3, things start to go wrong. As many of you well know, Adam and Eve are tested at the beginning of chapter 3 when that crafty, wily serpent slithers his way into their idyllic existence in the Garden of Eden and he begins to sow the seeds of doubt in the mind of Eve about this tree that God had placed in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent says, who is actually Satan, did God actually say you should not eat of that tree? And Eve says, yes, every other tree, the fruit of which we can eat, but that one, God said, do not eat it. In fact, don't even touch it or you will die. And that serpent says, you don't think you're actually going to die if you take the fruit? No, God knows that when you eat that fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll know good from evil and you'll be like him. And so Eve inches closer and closer to the tree and she's overcome with temptation and she grabs the fruit, eats it, shares it with Adam. And this test, they fail miserably. And as a result, they unleash sin and death into the world. These terrible enemies of God. These horrible consequences that we still deal with today. Now, you're going to be reading all this and more just in the first week's worth of readings. And just from these few passages that I've covered so far, there's some good sermon material here. I could do a sermon from what we've read so far about the majesty of God's creation. And that would be a worthwhile sermon to preach. To talk about all the intricate and awe-inspiring beauty in God's creation and to remind us that we should stand before Him in, in fear and reverence and awe for all that He has made. And you know, in a sermon like that, I would probably include a couple verses from a couple of the Psalms that you're going to be reading because we are going to be reading Psalms throughout the year, two or three a week. Like, for instance, you're going to be reading Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what the psalmist 
says here. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so God's creation just by existing and functioning in the way that he intended praises God. The heavens declare his glory. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Or what about this one? Psalm 104, another that you will be reading in the coming week. Psalm 104 verse 5. God set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. It was God who made this earth and all the things in it. That would be a sermon worth preaching. Or from these verses, just from Genesis 1 to 3, I could preach about the relationship, the complementary relationship between man and woman. And how gender roles are part of the fabric of God's good creation. And I could talk about the sanctity of marriage that was established when God created man and woman and commanded both to leave father and mother and cleave to one another, that would be a sermon worth preaching. Or I could do a sermon about the nature of temptation from Genesis chapter 3. From the story that we just looked at where Adam and Eve are tested and they fail the test. We could talk about how temptation works. How Satan sort of weasels his way into our minds and, and makes us begin to question what God's Word says, to question what God has commanded us to do, how God has commanded us to live. You see what Satan does here in the form of a serpent. He begins to make Eve doubt the goodness of God. And you see here in Genesis chapter 3 that she inches ever closer to doing this Sinful act in verse 6, she saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It looked appealing to her. And she desired it in order to be made wise. And then she takes it and eats it. Isn't that how it happens? We find ourselves inching closer and closer to sin. Inching closer to that line. We think, I'll just put my toes up to the line, but I won't cross it. But before we know, we've crossed it. That'd be a sermon worth preaching, right? Because Satan works in much the same way today as he did then. And he tempts us with some of the same schemes as he does Adam and Eve. That'd be a good sermon. All of these, good and accurate and biblical. But what I want us to begin to see, starting tomorrow, as you start reading through the Word, I want us to begin to see the big story of the Bible. Not just the stories, but the story. And that, I think, should be a goal for us this year as a church family, as we read. To begin to see how the individual stories in Scripture are part of the larger story of Scripture. We need to have a greater awareness of, well, let's call it this. Maybe this language will be helpful to us. A greater awareness of the upper story. There's an upper story of the Scriptures that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. There is a grand narrative arc. And we need to be able to see the upper story and how the lower stories, the stories of creation and the creation of Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam and Eve through the testing and all of the other stories, the narratives uh, and the other types of writing that we see in Scripture. We need to see, begin to see how those individual stories fit in the larger story, how the lower stories fit as parts in the upper story. Let me share with you an illustration. 
When Lauren and I were in college, we had a friend who went up to New York on a theater trip. And she came back and said, I saw a musical up there that was awesome. And it was called Wicked. And it was like the backstory of the Wizard of Oz. And we thought, well, we love the Wizard of Oz. This sounds pretty cool. It's like the backstory of the Wicked Witch of the West. And uh, so we were like, well, that's cool. So we bought the soundtrack, or we borrowed the soundtrack. We might have burned the soundtrack, I'll confess to you. We might have accessed it illegally. I don't even remember, okay? So don't jump on my case. Anyway, we started listening to the music. And the music's great. Great songs. And as we listened, we were able to piece together the story. But there were gaps in our minds. Because, you know, in a musical, it's not just song after song after song. There's dialogue in there. And, you know, you miss the dialogue if you're just listening to the soundtrack and you're not seeing the musical live. And so we had questions, like there were characters that were mentioned in certain songs, and we were like, well, who is that person, and where do they fit into the story? Well, a few years ago, Wicked has become a phenomenon and, you know, has traveled all over the country, and it was in Nashville at TPAC, and Lauren and I went up there on a date, and we saw the musical, and everything made sense when we saw the whole thing from start to finish. When we just listened to the soundtrack, we could somewhat understand what the story was about by just listening to the individual songs. But when we sat there and heard the songs and saw the songs performed in the context of the larger story, then everything made sense. This is applicable to how we read our Bibles. Because a lot of times we treat our Bibles like Lauren and I did that musical, we just listened to the soundtrack. And we just listen to this song here and that song there. And a lot of times, we're able to interpret those rightly. But sometimes, if we're not aware of the bigger story, sometimes we, we, we really botch things up. And we misinterpret passages of Scripture because we are not thinking of them as parts of a larger whole. So instead of soundtrack reading of the Bible, we need to actually watch and come to understand the whole story, so that all of the individual parts make sense in the context of the whole. And that is one of our goals this year as we read God's Word. We're not just reading stories. We are coming to see how these stories and other types of writing fit in the larger narrative, in the upper story. Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me now to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Because you will not only start reading in Genesis tomorrow, you're also going to be reading in Mark. Because the way we're doing it is, we're going to go through the Old Testament and New Testament simultaneously. You're going to have an Old and New Testament reading every day. Now, why do you read Mark before, say, Matthew? Well, you're reading Mark before the other writings in the New Testament because it comes earliest in the timeline. It tells the story of Christ, right? Along with Matthew and Luke and John. And that is chronologically the first thing that happens in the New Testament. But there were probably some of the letters of Paul that were written before the Gospels. And so why does Mark come first? Well, it's uh, what I just said about the events chronologically happen first. But a lot of people believe Mark was maybe the first Gospel to be written before Matthew and Luke and John. 
And so you're going to be reading Genesis, and you're also going to be reading Mark as you get started. You know what the first word in the Gospel of Mark is? You can't see it really in your English Bible. The first word in your English Bible is probably the, but the first word in the Greek is the word RK, which means beginning. And so the whole Bible begins with what? In the beginning. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the story of Jesus Christ, the first word is beginning. Now, is Mark trying to signal to us with his language that God is up to something new? That this is a new beginning? That is certainly the case, and so I wouldn't put it past Mark to sort of raise up this little signal here, this flag, by using the word beginning to make us think about how the whole Bible begins. Because something new is afoot in Mark and in Matthew and Luke and John when Jesus arrives on the scene. And what we see, in the, before we get to Jesus, what we see on, on the opening pages of Mark is that sin is running rampant and that there are ruinous effects of sin that are, that are being felt. What we see immediately is that this is not the world that God intended to exist. This is not the world that God created. Sin is is reigning. There are people in open rebellion against God because what does John the Baptist say when he comes on the scene? Repent! What does Jesus say when he comes on the scene? Repent! There is not a need for repentance unless there is sin running rampant. And we see sickness and illness and people who are possessed by Spirits, evil spirits, demons. This is not the kind of world that God intended. And in the midst of it all, we see a new figure on the scene. And his name is Jesus Christ. And what do we see here on the opening pages of Mark about Jesus? Well, in verse 9, we see that he's baptized. And this is kind of the official start of his ministry. And what happens at his baptism? We see the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Spirit is hovering over the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember the Spirit of God hovering over the void and formless world at the beginning of time? Is this just a coincidence? Or is Mark telling us this is a new beginning? And then we see... Jesus is tested. You remember, he's taken out to the wilderness and he goes through this series of tests by the evil one. But we just got finished talking about how Adam and Eve were tested at the beginning. And they failed, but what's the difference with Jesus? He doesn't fail. He passes with flying colors. He's able to resist the devil unlike Adam and Eve. And we see here that he has the power to forgive sins. He can pronounce forgiveness of sins, which led the Jewish religious authorities to say, who is this guy? Listen to him blaspheme. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Exactly. That's the point. Because Jesus is not just some man. He is God. And he does have the power and authority to forgive sins. But not only that, to heal people of their sickness, to drive out the evil demons. We see Jesus is now undoing the effects of sin that were brought into the world through Adam and Eve's 
rebellion. Jesus is doing something brand new. This is a new beginning. And we see later in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus will enact a new covenant in his blood that he shed for us on the cross. I share all of this, and we could like do this throughout the year with all sorts of different readings. And I think what's going to be amazing to you is seeing the connections as you read between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I share all this this morning, not just because this is the stuff that you're going to be reading next week, but to show you that there is a big story of the Scriptures that that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. And it's about one man. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Son of God. God in the flesh. And it's about one accomplishment. One, the accomplishment of one goal that God has in mind, and it is our redemption. As you read, especially as you read the Old Testament, I want you to be, I want you to be a scout. I, I want you to be watchful. I want you to be on the lookout for how all of what you read in the Old Testament points ahead to the coming Messiah. How it all points ahead to Christ. And I want you, as you read, to look for examples of how God is seeking to pursue us and restore what was lost, what was lost at the fall, at Adam and Eve's rebellion. That's the upper story. That's what God is after throughout the Scriptures. He is seeking after us. He desires to share a relationship with us. He wants to see us forgiven of our rebellion and redeemed and placed back into his family. I have already seen this as I've been reading just this week. I figured that I better stay a week ahead of you guys, since each week the sermon is going to be based on a reading that we had the week before. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to stay a week ahead, and that's probably going to make me extremely confused going forward, but I thought that's going to be best. And I've already been reading... And journaling a bit in here. See, I've got some writings here. And what I've done is, I've written down some questions. If there's something that I don't understand, I'll just write a quick question. And I'm writing these down so that I can return to them later. I can go back and study and try to figure it out. And then over here, I'm just sort of writing a summary of each chapter that I'm reading. But, you know, you can use this any way that you want. It's your journal. You know, you can write prayers in here that were inspired by your readings. However you want to do it is fine. But as I was reading, I already noticed how God is concerned for those who have fallen away from Him. How God is concerned, how God still loves and seeks after those who have rebelled against Him. Right after Adam and Eve rebel against God and throw away all the wonderful blessings that were afforded to them. You know what God does? God, God himself, sews for them clothing. He fashions for them clothing to have. Just a small, tiny little example of God's care for his human creation. And then I noticed it again as I was reading when I read about Cain and Abel, how Cain struck down his brother Abel in cold blood out in the field. And God punishes Cain. And he sends him out. 
But Cain says, what if someone harms me or takes my life? And God says, I will avenge you because I care about you. God still cared about Adam and Eve after they fell away from him. He still cared about Cain after he killed his own brother. And if you think that God doesn't care about you, even if you have fallen away from him, even if you have rebelled against him, then what you're going to see as you read your Bible in 2019 is that you're wrong and that he does. He does still care about you. He has never stopped seeking you, never stopped pursuing you. That is his grand goal, to woo you back, to bring you back into his fold, to redeem you and all of mankind. That's what he's after. And throughout this year, I'll preach several lower story sermons. I mean, sermons about the stories, but it will be my goal to show you how those fit into the larger story, the grand story of God's scheme of redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, this time of the year, we think a lot about New beginnings, we've talked about the beginning of all time, the beginning of the Bible, the new beginning that God made through Jesus Christ. We'd like to think about starting fresh, and we think about goals and resolutions and how we want to be different in the year to come than we were in this year. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who is willing to give us a fresh start? I mean, the New Testament teaches that when we come with truly penitent hearts as baptized believers and confess our sins to God, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? And that those who have lived in rebellion against God can come and confess the name of Christ and be baptized in water so that their sins can be washed away. Our God is the God of new beginnings, of fresh starts. Let me share with you Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, as we close. I bet you've heard these words before. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Those words were spoken during a time of great calamity. The book is called Lamentations because Jeremiah is crying at the sinful state of his people and the impending judgment and punishment of God. But that's the lower story. The upper story is this. God's steadfast love has never given out, has never wavered for his people. It never comes to an end. His mercies are new Every morning. Maybe you need a fresh start with the Lord today. Maybe you need to start for the very first time in your journey serving God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to experience the salvation that only comes through Him. You can come and repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is God's Son, be baptized, immersed, so that those can be forgiven. Or if you just need, if you're, you are a believer you're a, a, a Christian, you've been baptized, but you need a fresh start. 
The new year begins in two days. There's no better time than right now to say, I need to get things in order in my life. I need God to be on the throne of my heart once again. I need him to be first. He hasn't been in the last several weeks, months, years. But it's time for a change. I need to submit my life anew to God. This is the time for you to come and to make a commitment to God. Or maybe you need to come and uh, be be saved. Maybe you need to go see a couple of our elders for prayers. If there are any spiritual needs, come make them known as we stand and sing.